Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, it's uh, daylight savings time again, and I heard on the radio that people are generally grumpier this weekend, and it takes some people like up to a month to adjust losing an hour of sleep. I just found that incredibly interesting. And so if the person next to you is asleep already, uh, chances are that they're trying to catch up already, so just leave them alone, because I'd rather have them sleep through my sermon than be grumpier through it. Now, if uh, they start snoring out loud, now, now we're talking a different matter. You just poke them in the ribs real good and hard. Make sure they wake up because I'll be grumpy if uh, they start doing that. Uh, all joking aside, I find it hard to be grumpy uh, on a day like this after those amazing uh, baptism testimonies. Amen? Isn't that great? <clears throat> So we're in a series uh, we're calling Christianity 101 in which we're examining the core beliefs of the Christian faith. And presently we're looking at what the Bible has to say about the church. But before we get into it, would you just stand with me and let's just dedicate our time to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for this day which you have made. We thank you for life. We thank you for how blessed we are. We thank you for your word, what it teaches us about life, about following you, about living this life to the fullest. And also, Lord, what it teaches us about the church. And so we ask, oh God, that um, you would just show us um, really what the purpose, what you intended the church to be. And Lord, give us the courage to respond to whatever it is you say to us. For we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. In Matthew 22, verse 34, an expert in the law approached Jesus with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied saying, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now in these verses, Jesus essentially says, nothing is more important, nothing is more fulfilling in life than loving God and loving people. Now, the sad thing is, it's possible to live your whole life and miss out on this truth. It's possible to live your entire life pursuing a career, uh, pursuing fame, material success, the pursuit of pleasure, and miss out on the most important thing that God created us for, and that is a relationship with himself and with the people that he brings into our lives. Now, I bring that up as part of our study of the church. Because this is the fundamental reason that Christ established the church. The fundamental purpose of the church is to love God and to love people. Now, last time we learned that that the church is is, is not a building. Buildings are tools that we as Christians use, but buildings are not the church. 
The church is not a place you go to. The church fundamentally is a family you belong to. The church is people. We are the church, those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ. And one of the key reasons that Christ established the church was so that we would be in each other's lives and we would challenge each, each other to not let the temporary things of this life, the lesser things, the counterfeit gods of this life, take the place of our relationship with God and also our relationship with others. One pastor put it this way. He said, I have been at the bedside of many people in their final moments when they stood at the edge of eternity. And I have never heard anyone say, please bring me my diplomas. Show me my awards and medals and trophies and the gold watch that I was given. I want to look at them one more time. Never happened. Now don't misunderstand. It's not wrong to want to achieve things. In fact, it pleases God when we take the talents, the abilities that he has given to us and we use them to do things and to create things and to accomplish things that bless and make our world a better place to live in. Nothing wrong with accomplishing things. But what Jesus is essentially saying is make relationships the primary focus of your life. Don't cheat on your relationships in order to achieve things. Because when it's all said and done, your relationships are going to mean so much more to you than your achievements. Now, the early church understood this. In Acts 2, we read they focused on three kinds of relationships. Fundamentally, they loved God, they loved one another, and they loved others in their community. That was their focus. That was their purpose, to love God, to love one another, and to love others in the world. In fact, it says their love for God and for one another was so captivating that the people in the community just wanted to join them. They wanted to be part of them. And the Bible says that as they devoted themselves to these things, to these relationships, God blessed them to the point where they turned their world upside down. Prayers were answered. Bodies were healed. Lives were dramatically changed. And God added to their number daily those who were being saved, those who were being brought into the kingdom of God. And church, I believe that God wants to bless us in the same way today, to use us to turn our world upside down in a good way for his glory. But it's only, only going to happen if we give our lives, first and foremost, to loving God. And then secondly, to loving people. Today I want to talk to you about that first and most important relationship. Our relationship with God. And how we might cultivate a loving friendship with God. You see, God didn't create us because he was bored. Or because he was lonely. Or because he was looking for some cheap help to take care of the planet. No, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, the Godhead, they were experiencing such a depth of love and intimacy between them. They decided to widen the circle of their love by creating us 
<coughs> excuse me, and inviting us to experience the love and community that they shared. In short, God created us in large part because he wanted us to be friends with him. And the sad thing is, <coughs> excuse me, if we give our lives to lesser things, if we give our lives to temporary things, but we never really become a true friend of God, we miss the very reason that God created us. Now the question I'm often asked is, how can we grow closer to God? How can we become a friend of God? Well, first of all, you need to believe in Him. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, His spiritual children. God delights in us. And as we see in these verses, He delights it. He loves it when we seek Him, when we seek to draw closer to Him. It all starts here. If you want to become a friend of God, you need to acknowledge that you need Him, that life doesn't make sense without Him, that you have no solutions for dealing with your sins and with your regrets. You need to come to the place where you believe that Jesus died and rose again to pay for your sins and my sins. And by faith receive this gift that he offers and ask him to forgive you of your sins, to invade your life, to make all things new and to live his life through you. If you want to become a friend of God, you need not, not only believe in him, but you need to believe him and what he says in the scriptures about life, about what's important in life, about what success is, about how to live this life to the fullest. You have to have this deep conviction that his way is the way, not only to eternal life in heaven with the Lord, but to have a meaningful and satisfying life here on earth right now. That's the first and most important key. You need to believe in Him. Furthermore, you need to worship Him. In other words, you need to make Him the object of your highest affection. In 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9, we read this. The eyes of the Lord... Search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now reflect on that verse for a moment. The eyes of the Lord look throughout the whole earth for people whose hearts are fully devoted to him. Our eternal, majestic, all-powerful God, the one who created us, the one who sustains us each and every moment, the one who made us in order to be friends with us, this same God is looking for a certain kind of heart. 
He's searching the whole world and he's asking, is there anyone at all who wants to know me? Is there anyone at all who wants to get close to me? God wants to cultivate a friendship with us. He wants to strengthen us, empower us, bless us. He wants to accomplish his kingdom purposes through us, but that won't happen unless he's the object of our highest affection, the object of our worship. You see, we all worship something. We may worship ourselves. We may worship our spouse, our family, or our desire to have a spouse and a family. We may worship our position at work, the approval of certain people, money and possessions. We may worship pleasure and living the good life. You worship whatever you treasure the most. Matthew 6, 31, Jesus said, be careful in this matter of what you worship. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, your treasure shapes you. I mean, if you worship money, you'll find in time that greed will steal over you. If you worship achievement, in time you'll become a workaholic. On the other hand, you worship God and you become more like Him. You become like your treasure, like the God that you worship. Whatever is first place in your life is going to shape your life, is going to define your values, your priorities, and your affections. Which raises the question, well, how do I know what I'm really worshiping? How do I know what is truly the object of my highest affection? Well, one way that Jesus pointed out in Matthew chapter 6 is to ask yourself, what am I worrying about? What is it that I fear? Now, we all have moments that we worry and we all have moments that fear steals over us, but when we're obsessed with worry or with fear, when we're staying up at night because of it, this may be a warning light that something other than God is becoming or has become the object of our highest affection. You see, when you're worshiping, you're not worrying. When God is at the center of your life, fear goes away. Now, another way to test what it is you really treasure is to examine what or where we're making sacrifices with our time or the abilities we have or the money that we've been given. Whatever you treasure, you make sacrifices for. I mean, if you treasure your spouse or your family or a certain friend, you will make sacrifices for them. If you treasure having a certain kind of body, you know, abs and all, you make the necessary sacrifices to see it become a reality. And some of us are really sick and tired of those sacrifices, are we not? Yes. So if you want to know what your treasure is, ask yourself, what am I making sacrifices for? What am I serving? What am I giving my life to? 
my time, my abilities, my resources. Because that will reveal who you're worshiping or what you're worshiping. Now, some people, they try to straddle a fence. You know, they, 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 they try to um, worship God, but they also put their trust in other things as well. And yet, Jesus responded to that tendency in Matthew 6, 24, when he said, no one can serve two masters or two gods. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus says you can only serve one God at a time. You can only grow close to one God or treasure one God at a time because our hearts have room for only one all-encompassing devotion. Which is why God says, if you want to grow close to me, and experience all that I have for you, then I need to be your greatest treasure. I need to be the object of your highest affection. Which brings us now to the third key. If we want to grow close to God, we not only need to believe in Him and worship Him as our greatest treasure, but we also need to abide in Him. In John 15... Jesus said this to his disciples. If I am the vine, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. To abide in Christ is like a branch that's stuck to a vine or connected to a vine. You receive from him the life-giving juice, if you want to use that term, that ultimately results in fruit. But you see, you're just the fruit hanger. The branch is the fruit hanger. It receives the life from the vine and gives it to the fruit. That's what abiding in Christ is. To abide in Christ means to live each moment and each day in humble dependence on Him. The same way that Jesus lived in total dependence on His Heavenly Father during the 33 years that He was on this planet. Though Jesus is God, He chose not to exercise His divine power during His time on earth. But instead, He relied totally on His Heavenly Father to work through Him. Which is why Jesus said in John 5.30, by myself I can do nothing. Which is why in, in John 5.36, he talked of the work the Father had given him to do. And why in John chapter 12, he said, for I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. A lot of religious groups will look at this and they'll say, that's proof that Jesus wasn't God. But I told, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus relinquished his divine rights while he was on earth here. He lived in humble dependence on his Father 
In the same way he calls us to live in humble dependence on him. Christ's miracles, Christ's ability to read minds, his ability to predict the future was actually done by God the Father working through him in his role as the perfect man. The entire time that Jesus was on on earth, he lived in dependence upon his heavenly Father. And friends, if we want to grow closer to God, we need to follow his example. We need to live in total dependence upon him. We need to stay connected to the vine. We need to abide in him. So what does abiding in Christ look like, you know, on a day-to-day basis? Well, first of all, it involves listening to God. In John 3, Jesus is talking about um, the spiritual life. He's talking about life in the spirit. And in verse 8, he says this. The wind blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now the Greek word for wind here is pneuma, which is also the word for spirit. And what Jesus is saying here is that in the same way the wind is in control and blows wherever it wants to, so the Spirit of God is in control and moves wherever it wants to, wherever He wants to. In other words, God is in control. Now, John Ortberg, whose insights on this passage I find very insightful, says the work of the Holy Spirit is powerful and I can't control it. I can't manufacture it. But on the other hand, I'm not passive either. My responsibility is to discern where the Spirit is blowing, as it were, to align my life with it, to determine where God is at work. In the same way, for example, that the captain of a sailboat has no control over the wind or the direction that the wind is blowing. The only thing that he can do is to align the sails of his boat in such a way to catch the wind in order to move the sailboat forward. And so the question is, how do you determine what the Spirit of God is saying to you and wants you to do? Well, one way and the most important way is to read and meditate on the Scriptures. The Gospels tell us that Jesus regularly went to a quiet place by himself to be with his Heavenly Father, to pray, and to receive his Father's assignments for the day. In fact, Luke 6 um, tells us that Jesus spent the entire night praying to his Father. And if we wish to grow closer to him, if we want to know his heart, if we want to know his direction for our lives, we need to spend quality time with him alone. In my life, in in addition to my daily quiet time, I'm trying to establish a habit of stopping several times during the day, just for five minutes or so, to just uh, relax, to focus on the Lord, Maybe to read a bit of scripture and to say a short prayer 
or to cast my cares that are overwhelming me at the time on the Lord, to ask him to fill me with his strength and his wisdom. Now, I encourage you to try it yourself because you'll be surprised how just stopping for a few minutes serves to renew and to recalibrate you. I also challenge you to make Sabbath rest a predictable pattern in your life. You know, there are times during the work week when I feel a bit frustrated in my relationship with my wife, Gwen, because we've not had time to really talk things through on certain issues or, or whatever the case might be. And, and typically we're in a rush, and what happens is one of us is kind of heading for the door. And you can tell just because the person's heading for the door that they don't have much time to talk. And so the talk, you know, the person over here is talking really quick while the other person's saying, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, gotta go, see ya. Now, you know, I can live with that because thankfully, once a week on our Sabbath rest day, we set aside a couple of hours for just the two of us to meet together. We go to a busy coffee place for just the two of us to meet because Gwen needs coffee to relax. (laughs) She can't concentrate and there are a lot of people, unless there's a lot of people talking around her. Can you tell I'm not overly excited about the place? Um, But even so, I really look forward to our time together. Because I know we're not going to be in a rush. We're going to be together for a couple of hours. And and we can relax. We can really talk about how we're doing. We can talk uh, things through. Well, you know, sometimes my relationship with God is like that. Sometimes my day is so full that I come to my quiet time and I say to God, okay, Lord, here I am. Please speak to me through your word, but could you do it really quick? Because I've got a meeting in 10 minutes. Sometimes that is how a day goes. And on occasion, sometimes that's how a week goes. And after a while, I just feel like there's a huge disconnect between me and God. Which is why I am so grateful for and look forward to my Sabbath day rest because I can find a truly quiet place, relax and spend extended time with God alone and hear Him in ways I never could the rest of the week and also to express to Him what's on my heart in ways I never could through the week. You know, God commanded the Israelites to let the, remain, let the land remain fallow for a full year every seven years, calling it a sabbatical rest for the land. And the reason is is so that he could replenish the depleted nutrients in the soil. To work the soil year after year without this rest would have left the soil infertile. 
Well, Peter Scazzaro says the soil of our souls is not all that different. Work depletes our energies. It, it depletes our wisdom. It depletes our reserves. And if we don't allow the soil of our souls to rest, we do violence to ourselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We might think we don't, but folks, we do. Because we were created to have this rhythm in our life between work and rest. Our rest is to grow out of our work. And in time, if we keep cheating in this area, we get fatigued. We're unable to live. We're, not, we're unable to lead from the fruits of the Spirit. But when we take Sabbath rest, God uses the rest. He uses the delight, the play of that day to replenish us spiritually, emotionally, and physically and make us effective again in our work, in our leadership. All this to say, neglect your daily quiet time. Neglect your weekly Sabbath rest. Neglect your time for vocation and recreation. And you may think it doesn't matter. And you may be able to go for quite some time and think it's not making any difference at all. But mark my words, you will ultimately pay a price. In the same way that you can't neglect quality time with your spouse, for example, for a few months. And again, even in that situation, you may think it's all real good. There's no problem. Haven't talked to her for three months, but hey, we're doing okay. She seems to be doing great. Then one day, you're going to wake up. Yep. You're going to wake up and you're going to realize that you're in trouble, that your relationship is in crisis because you've drifted from each other. Another way to discern what God is saying to you is not only through the scriptures and through those quiet times, but also through other people. God may speak to you through people in your family. He may speak to you through a close friend in your community group or someone at work affirming a gift or a talent that you have and challenging it um, to, to use it for God's glory, just as an example. When I sensed God calling me to full-time ministry, I resisted it big time. Then my dad told me flat out that there was no future in the ministry. <laughs> kind of interesting phrase when you think about it, but anyways, he told me I was throwing away a great career opportunity that he was offering me. And I've got to tell you, as an 18-year-old, that was, that was difficult. I was really tempted to ignore God's call in my life. But you see, God's spirit wouldn't leave me alone. Kept speaking to me. And then out of the blue, people I respected began to approach me and tell me that they really believed that God had gifted me and was preparing me for full-time ministry. All that to say that God speaks to us through godly people who are sensitive to his voice and his promptings. God may speak to you through a sermon or through a book or through a person's life story. Are you listening to the wind of the Spirit? 
who's using these things to draw you closer to himself. A third way to discern where the Spirit may be speaking to you is through your circumstances. For example, let's say that you received very disturbing news. And it's the kind of news that you just want to run from or maybe even just quit. But then you hear the wind of the Spirit blowing in the midst of it. Might God be wanting to to grow your faith in Him? Might He be wanting to develop peace within you, a peace that comes from choosing to let go and let God have His way? Believing that He has your best interests at heart and that in all things He's working things out for your good and for His ultimate glory? Or let's say that you're in a rush. You're already late for an appointment, and here you are at a grocery store in a long lineup at the Express 10 items only checkout. The clerk is slow, and based on the number of items in his cart, the person in front of you is mathematically challenged, big time. And everything inside of you wants to teach him to count to 10. But then you hear the wind of the Spirit blowing. Is God wanting to grow you in the area of patience? You see, every moment of every day, every person, every circumstance, whether good or bad, is a potential training ground for you to grow in your character, for you to grow closer in your walk and your faith in God. And now certainly there are some foundational practices like prayer, solitude, Bible reading, meditation that are critically important. And we need to set time aside for them as I mentioned a moment ago. But abiding in the Lord means that we recognize that God wants to hear from us and he wants to speak to us in the context of all of life's activities. Not just in our quiet, uh, in, in the room that we meet quietly with God, but also at the office or in other places. And if we're ever going to grow closer to him, we need to listen for his whispers right in the middle of a difficult conversation. Or right in the middle of a tough project at work. Because he may want to enlighten you. He may want to give you wisdom in that situation if you are just alert to him. If you're listening, you'll hear him whisper to you right in the middle of that conversation. Right in the middle of a traffic jam or in the middle of a temptation to procrastinate or just a flat-out sin. And he'll say something like, call on me now for strength. Or trust me in this. Don't do what you feel like doing right now. Do the right thing. Let me grow your character, the depth of your faith in me. And through it all, if you listen and follow through, you'll go closer to him. And so first of all, abiding in Christ involves listening to his voice. Tuning into his voice. Regularly. It also involves being obedient to his call. Doing what he calls you to do. In John 17, just before he would be arrested and crucified, 
Jesus prayed to the Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You see, Jesus didn't just listen to his Father. He obeyed him. Sometimes you will sense the Lord giving you a burden to pray for someone, to change your attitude towards someone, to step out and talk to someone, to serve someone, to be generous with someone, to lead a project or a ministry or to serve in a particular ministry. Will you do it? Will you trust him to give you the wisdom and the strength to do whatever it is he's calling you to do? Or does it stop there? Because if it stops there, your growth in him stops too. When I was 16, we had a neighbor by the name of Mr. Clark. Mr. Clark was a miserable old man who, from my perspective as a 16-year-old, had a mission in life, in his later years at least, that seemed to be all about making life difficult and miserable for everybody that knew him. One afternoon as I drove up to our home, I sensed the Lord calling me to visit Mr. Clark, to talk to him about the Lord. Now at first I passed it off, but as the day wore on, I felt an increasing burden with this. I, I could not get him out of my mind, but I refused. I had trouble sleeping that night. When I woke up the next morning, Mr. Clark was on my mind. Again, I refused. The thought of talking to Mr. Clark not only terrified me, but to be truthful, it was really the last thing I wanted to do. So I got in my car and I headed off to school. When I returned later that afternoon, and as I was coming down the block approaching our home, my heart froze because I saw an ambulance out in front of Mr. Clark's house. And a little while later, I learned that he had passed away that morning. One of the saddest moments of my life. And it served as a gut-wrenching reminder ever since how important it is to say yes to the assignments that God gives us. Now, by God's grace, I've had countless opportunities to respond to God's prompting since that time and to experience the joy, the spiritual growth that comes when you obey the Lord. You see, one of the ways that God grows our faith in Him is by putting us in situations where you, you have to trust Him, where you have to step out and, and follow through with what He's prompting you to do. I can recall a number of times when our back was against the wall, you know, as a family or as a church. When we were in desperate need for something or for a solution. We turned to God in prayer and God surprised us again and again by providing an answer through people who were sensitive to his voice and responded in obedience to his call. 
On other occasions, I've been the one that God talked to about helping someone in need or about calling someone out of the blue just to let them know that God prompted me to pray for them. Or going over to, uh, to a stranger in a hospital bed across from someone that I was visiting or an emergency waiting room to approach someone there that I didn't know. And just letting them know because God laid it on my heart that God loved them, that God cared for them, and then asking if I could pray for them. And through it all, I've had the joy of witnessing firsthand the surprise, sometimes the shock on people's face, followed by tears of joy when they realized that God had not forgotten about them. That he was aware of their need, that he had provided for them. You see, when you step out in faith and obedience to God's call in your life and you experience him at work, it takes your relationship with God to a whole new level. And it brings a spirit of anticipation, excitement, and, and adventure to your Christian walk. And your faith moves from just knowing about God to actually knowing God more intimately. It moves from just believing in God to believing God and the promises and the things he says in his word. And so abiding in him involves us listening to God being obedient to God. And finally, abiding in him involves practicing his presence continually. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, whatever you do, that means all the time, wherever you go, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you want to grow a deep friendship with God, then intentionally invite him to do your day with you. You know, it's important that we worship him regularly in church services like this. It's important that we meet him in our daily quiet time. But he wants to be more than a daily appointment on your daytimer. He wants to be part of every activity every conversation, every decision, every challenge that you face. You can do all these things on your own or you can consciously include him in them all. Asking him for his wisdom, his power, and his direction. You can have an open-ended conversation with him all day. It's like never taking the phone off the hook. With cell phones, we're getting closer and closer to living that way, at least with people that we know. It's a kind of an ongoing conversation. When we pray a short prayer for a person that he brings to mind, when we praise him for the beauty of the snow-capped mountains as we enjoy them, or we send up a quick prayer, for wisdom, for dealing with a difficult person or a difficult situation. 
That's what the Apostle Paul meant when he challenged us to pray without ceasing. People ask me, how is it possible to do everything to the glory of God? Well, I often tell them what Brother Lawrence once said. He said, you give glory to God in everything by doing everything, however ordinary or menial or difficult it may be, as if you were doing it for Jesus. A while ago, someone confided in me that he just said to me, my bosses drive me crazy. You know, I, I can, I, I'm just frustrated to tears. I just feel like I've got to quit. And after listening to him for a time, I, I said, um, just got a question. Are you working for your boss? Or are you working for Jesus? Sometime later, he came up to me again. He said, you know, that question changed my whole attitude toward my work. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for who? As working for the Lord, not for men. He's the one we're working for. Friends, this is just a little glimpse of what it means to abide in Christ. So do you want to grow closer to Jesus? I mean, do you really? Well, if you do, then let me ask you. Do you believe in him? Do you worship him as your greatest treasure above all else? Are you abiding in him, depending on him each and every moment of your life? If you are, you will grow closer to him. You know, when Jesus walked the face of the earth, there were those who were interested in him and what he had to say. But they deliberately followed him from a distance. They marveled at his teaching, but they never stepped out of the crowd and followed Jesus with all of their heart because they just wanted to keep their options open. On the other hand, there were some who were so moved by Christ's life and his teachings that their hearts were changed. They moved out of the crowd and they gave their life totally to him. A.W. Tozer once said, far too many Christians mistakenly believe that we can choose to accept Christ as our Savior, but we can postpone our obedience to him as Lord as long as we want to. And Dallas Willard has written this. He says, there is absolutely nothing in what Jesus taught that suggests you can decide to enjoy forgiveness at Jesus' expense and have nothing to do with him. 
Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to grow close to me, they need to deny themselves. They need to take up their cross and follow me. Friends, this is not a call about perfection. This is a call about direction, the direction that our lives are taking. You see, Jesus died on the cross to deal with our imperfections and our sins and our failures. This is a call to follow Jesus and to live all out for him, to pursue a love relationship with him and him alone, to worship him as our Lord and King, to love Jesus means that I will do what he says and what he calls me to do. So I ask you again, what have you given your life to? For you to live is what? Have you moved out of the crowd and surrendered your life completely to Jesus? Have you? you stand with me for closing prayer as we become accustomed let's open our hands to the Lord and ask him those two questions Lord what are you saying to me and Lord what is it you want me to do about it just take a moment right now for those of you who are contemplating coming out of the crowd I can't think of a better time than now to say all to Jesus I surrender those of you who have never committed your life to Jesus Christ I can't think of a better time for you to pray to him right now and to say Lord Jesus I'm coming out of the crowd no more playing games keeping you at a safe comfortable distance I'm all in can't think of a better time to say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Make me the person that you want me to be. If that is your prayer, or if you just feel led to recommit your life, to recommit yourself to growing closer to Jesus, I want to encourage you just to express that decision, that faith by making your way up here right now. We just love to meet with you, just to pray with you, 
celebrate your decision, encourage you as you step out of the crowd. Doing so is going to require courage and faith. But it is the pathway to knowing God personally and experiencing a life of adventure that surpasses anything this world has to offer. So come. Be courageous. Step out of the crowd. Be bold. Come right now as you are because Jesus accepts you as you are. Just another moment. I'm going to ask also those who are baptized, if you just make your way up here on stage, just behind me. just want to bless you before we are dismissed. Friends, God's touching your heart if he's speaking to you. Join those who have come forward. Declare publicly your commitment to him. Father, I just want to thank you for your faithfulness over all these years. Lord, we just praise and thank you for the privilege of knowing you. The privilege, Lord, of growing closer to you and being part of the greatest cause ever given to man. Thank you for the word, the word of truth and the picture that we find in Acts 2, Lord, of what a church can be when it's working right. When everyone is radically devoted to you, irrevocably committed to one another and relentlessly committed to the spiritually lost. And Lord God, during this one short era, this one short life that you've given to us, may we be the kind of people, may we be the kind of church that you'd be proud to call your bride. Lord, glorify yourself through each of us, I pray. Bring hope to the hopeless, peace to the heavy-hearted, joy to the despairing, love to the lonely. And Lord, do it through each of us. May we be alert to your promptings, and may we respond in obedience. Lord, we love you. We commit ourselves anew to knowing you, to growing closer to you, and reflecting your character and your reality and your power in everyone you bring across our path. For we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you 
and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.